Good morning. How are you guys? Everybody else has asked it, so I wanted to ask too. Uh, it's good to be here with you guys. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and thank you guys for being here with us this morning. Uh, before we jump into it uh, too much, I want to just, man, I'm so grateful, and, and some of you guys know this, uh, some of you guys may not, but uh, this happens uh, because of a ton of volunteers. Uh, there's so many people that work uh, during the week uh, for free uh, to make this happen. There's so many people that show up here early on a Sunday morning uh, when they could be sleeping in or going to brunch to make this happen, and I'm so grateful. We've got tons of volunteers. We had a couple new volunteers this morning, um, Jamie and Chris and the band and George. And so I'm just so, can we just thank the volunteers that make this happen? I'm so grateful for them. Uh, and uh, l- literally, this would not happen if it wasn't for the people that serve uh, and spend time here uh, helping make this happen. So I'm grateful for them. Uh, there's another group of volunteers that I'm very uh, excited about today uh, before um, uh, well, this afternoon, I guess, uh, w- there's a team of 15 people that are leaving um, to go to Puerto Rico for the week, uh, not on vacation. Uh, I'm sure it will be beautiful, um, but there's a group of about 15 people that are going to be going to serve the community there in Puerto Rico uh, in a number of different ways. There's some low-income housing we're going to be serving at. There's some homeless outreaches we're going to be serving at. Um, there's a couple shelters in that community um, that we're going to have the opportunity to, to spend some time um, serving and helping fix up kind of some of their spaces. Um, we actually have a campus, South Hills Church is a family of churches. There's five, uh, five campuses, and we actually have one that's there in uh, the city of Dorado, which is where we're going to be spending some time. And so we're going to be serving that church as well, helping them around their property. And um, 15 people said, hey, I'm going to use my vacation time and my money to fly to Puerto Rico to surf for a week, uh, which is a huge deal. Uh, that's, not a, that's no small thing. Uh, it's hard for us to take vacation to go do something fun, right? Uh, let alone to take vacation to go and serve and work uh, and serve people that we may have never met in our lives and we may never meet again. Uh, and so there's nine people from our campus that are going to be going. And if you guys, I know that some of you guys are here, some of you guys are not. Some of you guys are serving in Kid Nation. If you guys are going to Puerto Rico today, can you just put your hand up in the air? You guys can look around. Yeah. Uh, so um, what I would love to do is I would love to pray for that team, for the trip. Um, and, uh, and so if you guys will join me in praying for some of those people that raise their hands, uh, I would love that. God, thank you for this morning, for the time that we have together. Thanks for the way that you see us and you know us. Um, and God, for the, the way that when we serve, when we give of ourselves, somehow we always end up getting so much more in, re- in return. Um, and that doesn't make sense outside of who you are as God and your nature of generosity, that when we give, that you always give back to us, whether that's time or uh, talents or whatever it might be. So God, this week, as this team leaves uh, this afternoon, I pray that you would be with all 15 people that are going. God, give them uh, energy and excitement and rest. Uh, Keep us safe and healthy throughout the week um, so that we can serve this community tangibly, meet practical needs um, that, that they're looking for. And God, as we meet those practical needs, would they experience your love? Would they experience a sense of uh, peace that somebody sees them and cares for them and cares about them? Um, And so, God, we're we're grateful to be able to go and do this. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're wrapping up today this series uh, that we've been in called Low Battery, and you guys watched the video, which uh, highly focuses on our phones and the idea of how much attention we pay to our phones' battery and making sure we know exactly how much percentage we have left. And if you ever woken up in the morning and realized that you didn't charge your phone, it's like, I plugged it in, but it didn't charge, or whatever it is. Or like, I plugged it in the, one time last week, I plugged it in, uh, my case is like rubber on the bottom, and I just like slid it into the case and not actually in the charger. I guess it's funnier if you can see my case, but anyways. Uh, there's, there's a piece of us that is so concerned and so overwhelmed and conscious of making sure that our devices are charged, and we always pay attention to that, and, and so we draw a correlation to our lives, and how often do we, as adults, as, as individuals, how often do we make the intentional decision to recharge, to find places that give us life, that refill our energy? Because even as much as we like work, it, it might take it out of us. Even as much as we love our families, it can be exhausting. Even as much as you love your hobbies and your passions, 
there's things that, that they constantly take energy. They take, uh, whether it's physical energy or emotional energy or spiritual energy, these things are, that's always a balance that we're trying to reach. And so how often do we intentionally think about what it looks like to recharge our own batteries, our spiritual batteries, our emotional batteries? The first week we talked about this word sovereignty. Um, and, and, and this idea of sovereignty, we said, you know what, everybody, uh, one of the ways that we can make sure that we don't uh, run out of energy and find ourselves just dead tired and exhausted and not having any capacity to do anything is to understand this idea of sovereignty, which is an overarching rule. And for us as, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God is sovereign over us, but there's practical things underneath that in our lives of, hey, here's what's most valuable to us as a family. We're only going to say yes to things that fit into these values. Uh, or maybe you're, you're on a diet of some sorts, and that diet is sovereign in your life. If you guys have ever done like Whole30, there's 30 days where that thing runs your life, and there is no enjoyment inside of that 30 days at all. Uh, and, uh, but there's, there's all these kind of lesser sovereign things, but this idea of sovereignty is important for us because if we don't know what's most important, then we're just going to kind of do everything and we'll end up tired and exhausted with nothing left. Sanctuary is the second word that we talked about week two, this idea of the people, the places, and the practices that we can go to when we need to be refilled, when we need to relief from the, the pressures and the stress of life, finding sanctuary. Last week, uh, our senior pastor here uh, was here last week, and he talked about the idea of Sabbath and trust and rest, and it was such a great message that we heard last week. And, and um, Today, we're going to finish out this series. Um, the, the fourth word, before I, I tell you what it is, there was, um, it was probably two months ago, three months ago. We have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and all of my stories are about them because that's where all my time goes. Uh, and so my, my time is either with my kids or at church. So when I'm not with my kids, I'm at church talking about my kids is really what happens. Uh, so... Our six-year-old is in kindergarten this year. He just finished his first year of school, and we had no idea what that would look like uh, kind of outside of our house with all these other influences and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and so we um, were hanging out at home one afternoon, and he just brings up things in the funniest ways sometimes. And he, he's sitting there on the sofa watching Power Rangers or whatever it was, and he turned to my wife and said, Mom, I know what the S word is. And she's like, oh, do you? And he's like, I do. And she's like, what's the S word? And he's like, hate. <laughs> she's like, yeah, buddy, we don't say the S word. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. So in case you didn't notice, all four of these weeks have been S words. Uh, none of them are hate. So we have sovereignty, sanctuary, Sabbath, and today... Uh, the final S word that we're looking at is the word sustenance. That's uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, having kids, if you guys have kids, you know this. You probably remember this as kids because it was the worst when your parents told you this. But you're always telling your kids, don't spoil your dinner. Uh, just yesterday, we went out to dinner last night, and he, Mason got a juice. And every time he gets like a box of juice or a cup of juice or whatever it is, he crushes the juice, just like chugs it. And then he's like, oh, I'm so full. And then doesn't eat anything else. And so it's this constant battle. And I remember this as a kid of my parents saying, like, don't eat all of that now because you have to eat this. You have to eat your dinner, so don't fill up on whatever it is, chocolate milk or snacks or candy or whatever it is. And it's a constant battle that we have as parents to, to help our kids understand what's the most important thing. And it's not that juice isn't good. And, there, you know, there's a lot of sugar in some juices. I get that. But there's, there's good things about juice. And I want to, he just is so happy whenever we give him juice. Uh, and so it's, it's this thing where it's like, man, I want him to have it. I want him to experience it. I want him to enjoy it. But at the same time, I know that the most important thing for his six-year-old body is food, is, the, is what's going to come in that meal, that sustenance that comes. And so I'm constantly trying to help him understand, no, you need to eat this because this is what's going to help you do everything else that you do. This is what's going to help the chaos of your life. This is what's going to help you stay up late and get up early and never stop in between. I mean, this is, the sustenance is the important part. And we, as adults, we do the same thing. It, it kind of reverses a little bit, but one of our favorite restaurants is uh, in Costa Mesa. It's called Eat Chow. I don't know if you guys have eaten it. It's a restaurant called Eat Chow. It's fantastic. Um, Pro tip, they have a dessert called the gooey butter cake. Have you guys had that? I got a no round of applause for the gooey butter cake. I know one of you guys is on a diet this week, and you're angry. I'm talking about this already. Uh, 
The gooey butter cake is just one of the best desserts I've ever had in my life. And I have a lot of desserts, as you may be able to tell. Uh, it's so good. And so what will happen, and we, we do the same thing that we do with our kids, except now as adults, it's in reverse. So my wife and I will go out to dinner, and we'll decide, you know what? Let's share a meal so we can get two gooey butter cakes. So it's like you, you reverse it, and you figure, okay, so how much food do I have to eat so I can have as much dessert as I want? Uh, and that's a real sign of maturity is really what this is. Uh, but we're always trying to figure out this idea of what's going to sustain us, what's going to give us the energy that we need to be able to handle whatever life is throwing at us, work or family or, or uh, hobbies, whatever it might be that, you, that you're doing. So this idea of sustenance or sustainability is something that defines every aspect of our life. I just don't know if we always think about it in those terms, but I was thinking this week, and we need enough sleep every night so that we can be sustained through the day. Uh, that rarely happens, which is why we have coffee. Uh, we need enough of the right kind of food to sustain us, our energy levels through the day. We have to exercise the right amount to sustain our lifestyle. So if you just watch TV all the time, you don't have to watch that much, uh, or you don't have to exercise that much. But if you're an active person, you have to exercise in order to sustain how much you're going to be moving or lifting or carrying or whatever it might be. Um, there's a couple people I saw this week, uh, a couple people from our com uh, community here that went and did the, uh, the Ragnarok run race thing. Are you, are you guys familiar with this? That sounds terrible. I could not do that. I don't do enough to sustain me to be able to do that much exercise. We need to spend money in a certain way to, to have sustainability in our budget. You know, when you go on vacation and day one, you're like, yeah, let's buy everything. It's like, oh, I got to slow this down. There's like four more days of this trip. I got to make sure that I have enough money that I can sustain this. So we all, you know, we, we crave, we long for things that give us the ability to progress and to move forward in life. We all have these things, and whether you know it or not, you rely on hundreds and hundreds of things every day to sustain decisions that you make, purchases you make, how much sleep you get or don't get, how, what time you get to work, how prepared you are for a meeting. All of these things are things that sustain us. The reality is that there's something that's inside each of us that craves more than we can experience here. And, and we are constantly searching for something that can sustain us more than the stuff that we usually turn to. There's literal, physical sustenance that we all need. And sometimes it comes in the form of things like sovereignty or sanctuary or Sabbath. Those are all things that when we go and we, we take a day off and we unplug and we turn off our phone or whatever it is, we go out hiking or whatever it might be, those are things that can refill us. Those are things that can help sustain us. But they all have limited power, limited potential. There's another type of sustenance that we all crave at our deepest levels. This thing that's going to sustain us and our, our purpose and what our meaning is and sustains the love that we, we want to feel and the love that we want to give. These are the things that we have to figure out. And, and oftentimes we don't know what is it that sustains those things in our lives. We're all searching for this thing that will sustain our souls. Things physically here can't fully sustain us. They can only get us a certain, a, to a certain place. You can only go so long without sleep. You can only go so long with, you know, you can only run so long before your body just collapses. There's only so much that you can do physically. C.S. Lewis talked about this in this quote. He says, if I find myself, if I find in myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And there's aspects of our lives, I think, that I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience where maybe you've been in a room full of people, maybe even a room full of friends, and somehow when you left, you kind of felt alone. Even though you just spent hours surrounded by people that you know and love and care about. Uh, there's aspects of that, that that impact all of our lives. There's probably moments when you come to church and you expect to be filled in some way, and, and then there's probably some weeks where you leave and you're like, I don't know if I feel any different. I don't know if I got what I needed to get. There's, there's probably moments where uh, all, all different aspects of our lives, where there's the reality of what we can experience physically on this earth can, can give us a part of what we need, but never in full and never for long enough. I'm not arguing that 
Sleep isn't a great thing. It's one of the most beautiful gifts that God gave us. Uh, Money is a good thing. Experiencing love from people around us is a good thing. But there's something more than those things. There's something more important. There's something that can give us more in return than a good night's sleep. And the New Testament, we're going to be kind of all over the place. Most of the verses that we're going to be reading are going to be on the screens. um, But there's just a ton of verses we're going to be reading today. Uh, when I was growing up, we called these sword drills. I don't know if you guys grew up in church and ever had that. Sword drills, fastest finger challenges. We had to find the, no? Okay. Uh, Acts 17, Paul, uh, is a story about Paul. Uh, Luke wrote this about one of the, the messages that Paul preached to the people of Athens. Um, and Paul is talking about this idea of, I know that you're looking for something more, is really what Paul's getting at. It says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. And he said, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. So he's saying, there's, I, I get it. You have all of these statues and shrines to these gods that you're aware of, but you even have one just in case there's something else out there. You are looking, you're craving, you are aware that there is something else. In verse 24, he goes on and he says, this God, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands cannot serve his needs for he has no needs he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. In verse 27, he says, For his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, even though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And I love the way he says that. He says his purpose was that people would look for him and perhaps feel their way towards him, even though he's not very far. Like you're looking everywhere. I get that you're spiritual. You have this sense that there is something more out there. There's something important out there that is going to, to, to give you purpose, meaning, It's going to help you. It's going to answer questions that you might have. I get that. And let me tell you that that is God. And you might be searching everywhere to try and find it. You might be searching high and low. You might be looking into people. You might be looking into things, to stuff. Whatever you're turning to, you're going to be searching all over the place. But he is not far from you. He satisfies every need. And in him we live and move and exist. This thing that you're looking for, I found it. And he satisfies every need. This point that Paul is trying to make, let's go to that next slide. The point that he's trying to communicate to them is that everyone is craving something, but Paul has discovered the true source of sustenance. Everybody is looking for something, whether it's purpose in your career or job, whether it's energy and and living a healthy and fit lifestyle and feeling good about yourself physically, whether it's money, whether it's having a family and having this, this picture-perfect family that you've always imagined in your mind. Everybody is looking for something to give them meaning and kind of to found them, to, to tie them to this, this sense of rightness in their life. To say, you know what, once I get this, then I'm going to be okay. I can stop searching. I can stop working. I can stop striving And Paul's saying that he discovered the true source of sustenance. Your perfect picture of a family, if, which is a big if, you get it, if you achieve that perfect picture, it still won't be able to sustain you. If you get that job, it still won't be enough to make you feel like you matter. If you have all the money, it's still not going to be enough to give you everything you need. I have found the source. God is what we're looking for. Some of us in this room, even today, might be spinning our wheels trying to find meaning or fulfillment or purpose or belonging and all kinds of things. And there's a, there's a reality in that 
that God is the only thing that can truly fulfill that. All of those can give us a sense of purpose and meaning in part. It'll give us a little bit, but it runs out real quick. Like when you leave that room full of friends and immediately feel lonely, surrounded by love, yet feeling totally alone. It's not just Paul in the New Testament that writes about this craving, this longing. Uh, In the book of John, chapter 4, Jesus speaks about this a number of times. Uh, And John chapter 4 is one I want to look at. Um, You guys are maybe familiar with the story of the woman at the well. In verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there. Um, And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? I mean, We could spend a ton of time on this, but culturally, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they had years and years and years of animosity and hatred. And the Jewish people looked down at the Samaritan people and thought that they were worthless. And they wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't be engaged in any sort of conversation with them. And they would never ask them for a drink that would make them unclean because they were above that. They were holier than that. And so she was blown away by the fact that Jesus was asking her for a drink of water. And Jesus replies, not really answering her question, maybe giving her a different answer than what she was looking for. If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water, which had to be the most confusing thing, right? Hey, can you give me some water? Why are you asking me for water? Well, if you would ask me, I would give you water. I mean, it's just like, what's happening here? I'm so confused. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where are you going to get this water? And she's thinking tangibly, like he's talking to her, and she's thinking practically, physically, here's what I'm here for. I need water because it's hot, and it's the middle of the day, and you want water, and I want water, and you said you can give me water, but you don't have a bucket, and so this well is deep. I'm confused. She's thinking tangibly about this source of water that will sustain her, essentially saying, there is no way physically that you are able to give me what I need. There is no way. It's not possible. In verse 12, she goes on and she says, and besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than what he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Essentially like, this is the Voss of wells, right? I mean, you guys seen the, the glass bottle waters? It's like $5. How could you possibly think that anything you can offer is better than this? Generations of my family have been provided for from this. This is what we come to. This is what we know. This is the thing that we trust to give us what we need. How, what are you thinking? How in the world can you give me anything better She talks about her history and the generations that have come before her. This is the way we've always done it. We've always come here for our source of water. It doesn't make any sense. You don't even have a rope and a bucket. And there's a sense of pride of, you really think you have a better way? Like this has been good enough for the last few hundred years. And Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Essentially, yes, physically this water is great, but you'll get thirsty again. And I know that you're looking for something more than just today. I know that you're in need of something more than just this moment. And I can give you something. Jesus is saying, I can give you something that will sustain you forever. It doesn't run out. That's always there when you need it. Yes, water, also me, essentially. Water's great, but there's something else that you're in in need of. She says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water, which is just like, like, awesome. One less thing I got to do, right? She doesn't quite get what he's saying. She goes on. She tells 
all the people in the town, Jesus ends up talking to her and, and he kind of sees into her life and, and starts talking to her about the decisions that she's making. And there's a lot there, but we don't have the time for it today. So she's gone for a moment and it says, just then the disciples had come back. Because if you remember earlier on, the disciples went into the village to buy some food. Remember that at the beginning? Does everybody remember that? It's fine. Just then the disciples come back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Remember this Jewish Samaritan thing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And this phrase that we use a lot, I I say it a lot here, this idea that Jesus came to do something that we cannot do on our own. That's what the gospel is, is that God did something for us that we can't do on our own. And she, she's essentially saying, could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he possibly be the one that can give us something that we can't get on our own? Is it possible? Dare we even hope? Verse 30, so the people come streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. We just went all the way to Chipotle or whatever it is. Come on, you got to eat something. Verse 32, Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And then the disciples asked each other, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Like this is, some people don't like reading the Bible, but this is the stuff that just makes me so happy. This is like the real life, like, wait, we just went to get you food. Did you already eat? Did you eat without us? Did someone get him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained to them, even the disciples don't fully understand He explains to them, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. My nourishment, what I'm talking about, this this food, this this water, this this source that I get comes from doing the will of God, from becoming who he's created me to be, from finishing his work. And everybody has a system in their life that they think will carry them forward. And Jesus offers a new system crazy way that doesn't really make much sense when you first hear it. Everybody has something in their mind. They have, everybody has their well. Everybody has their whatever it is, their, their process of, of how they go about trying to achieve purpose and meaning and, and this idea of sustenance. But Jesus has a different way. One more passage I want to look at um, before we get into the closing, is Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Jeremiah was a prophet speaking on behalf of God to the Israelites who had once again kind of lost their way and fallen into a lot of problems. Um, one of the biggest issues that they fell into, they, they were captured by another country and they started to worship the gods of this other country. Idolatry is what the Bible calls that, but it's essentially putting anything else as something that's more important than God, putting anything else in God's place. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar, which you guys know where those places are, right? It's basic, and then he says, Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? Which is another just like sarcastic moment. Go as far as you want and see if you've ever heard of anybody doing anything this strange? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Which is really fascinating, and I don't have the time to talk about this a ton this morning. But as I was reading this this week, I was blown away by this, which is a sarcastic and totally true statement. People in so many other religions, current religions, past religions, they didn't just trade out their gods randomly. They didn't just be like, well, this one's not cutting it for me anymore. Let's try that one. Jeremiah is talking to these people that have experienced God in powerful and visible, tangible ways. He's like, have you seen anything as crazy as this? Nobody else just leaves their gods behind and chooses new ones, let alone you guys. Like, why would you do that? You've seen what he's done. Verse 12, the heavens are shocked at such a thing. They shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. And verse 13 is the one I really want us to think through. 
It says, for my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And the second thing is they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So in this time, this idea of cisterns is kind of like a well, for lack of a better term, but instead of having like a a source of water in the bottom of it, a cistern actually just kind of captured rainwater, and it was a way to just trap the water that they experienced. And in this area, they would get maybe a half an inch to two inches of rain a year. And so a cistern, to to capture the water that that came in that time was critical. It was super important. And so God, through through Jeremiah, is saying, You've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, essentially this source of unending purpose and meaning and hope and forgiveness and grace and whatever else you need. You've, you've abandoned me as a fountain of living water and you've dug your own cracked cisterns. So instead of me, you've chosen to dig your own hole and figure it out on your own. And your holes can't capture, they can't hold any water. These, these cisterns, they can't keep any water safe. They are leaking. They run out. It only works for a, a short amount of time. And as I was reading this through this, this week and kind of this idea of sustenance, and idolatry is like a big word, and it's like, oh, I don't have any idols. Like, that, that feels like a strong statement. But I would bet that there are, Many areas in my life, and maybe areas in your life, where you've said, God, I know that you can give me everything I need, but I'm going to try this out. And whether that is your career, a new job or promotion, whether that is finding meaning in your family, which is a beautiful thing, whether that is having money to be able to be secure and safe and provide and even be generous. These are all good things. But so often in our lives, we trade the the purpose and the identity and everything that God can give us to really truly sustain us for these cracked cisterns, this bank account that inevitably will run out, this family that is not actually perfect the people that will hurt us, the job that we work so hard to get into and then all of a sudden they have layoffs and we lose it. We choose these things and we put our identity and meaning and we trust these things to fill us and give us what we need to move forward. And God is saying, this is crazy. I will give you everything you need to move forward. But you've chosen other things to fulfill you, to give you purpose, meaning, hope, sustenance. And next slide on that screen There's a sin in turning away from God. He says, they've done two evils. One, they've turned away from me. And the second one is an even greater mistake by looking for fulfillment in something else. I was trying to figure out how to, like, contextualize this. And I don't know if this is the best example or not. But here goes. (laughs) But I'm going to say it anyways. Imagine, and maybe some of you have had the painful experience of this in your life, but imagine being married and having your spouse leave you. That would be horrendous. That would be heartbreaking. And I can only imagine what it would be like if your spouse not only left you, but left you for someone else. Like when they said, they didn't just say, I'm out, but they're like, I'm out And I'm going to that person. She's the one or he's the one that actually is going to make me happy. She or he is the one that actually is going to fulfill me. Can you imagine, and like I said, maybe some of you guys have been in that experience. It's not just the pain of being left, but it's the pain of, you think that they can give you something that I can't? And this is not a complete example. It's not the perfect example. But God is, is talking to Israel in this moment. But I think that it's true for us. And I think that God is saying, I mean, it would hurt for you to not trust me. But then for you to decide to trust a paycheck? For you to decide to trust your significant other more than me? To find your fulfillment and your purpose in them? For you to, to decide to trust your status, your whatever it is? Like, it's not just 
just leaving God. It's saying, you know what, I'm going to trust in this other thing, this tangible, finite thing to supply me with everything that I need. So I'm good, God. Thank you. And there's a peace for all of us, and I don't know that any of us do this maliciously or on purpose, but we, we are trapped over and over and over with this idea that we can find hope and purpose and meaning in these things. The people in Athens had this sovereignty. They had a set of rules of who they worshipped, but the sovereignty alone wasn't enough. The woman at the well had sanctuary. This place going at noon for her was a time and a way for her to be totally on her own by herself and escape. But it wasn't enough. The people of Israel had Sabbath. God had given them these laws of rest and rhythms and and helped them to know what it looked like to trust, but that alone wasn't enough. This idea of sustenance as life-giving fuel for our mind, for our body, for our soul, true sustenance only comes through Jesus. So how do we stay connected to God's sustaining power? This is like the practical side of things. I heard this a few years ago. I actually thought about it this morning, um, and I wrote it down. Uh, And somebody, and this was when I was probably 21 or something like that. I I just started going to church, and people were trying to help me understand um, the best way to stay connected to God and reading my Bible and praying and all this kind of stuff. And, And they said, you know, if... If you don't read your Bible or pray, or if I can say it a different way, if, you, if you're not close with Jesus one day, he notices. If you're not close with Jesus for two days in a row, if you're not connected with Jesus, if you don't read or pray, or if you're not kind of thinking, how would Jesus want me to live for two days in a row, everybody else notices. It's like, it's usually not until the third day that you notice. And it was like this silly thing, but it got me thinking, because there there's really is a piece for us that we... In this relationship, we start to drift, and we start to rely and trust on other things, and we start to imagine that maybe this job or this person or this activity or this whatever it is can give me what I need. I wrote these down in order. Um, I'm going to reverse them. I apologize, Debbie. The first thing, as we look practically staying connected to God's sustaining power. I'm going to go through these quickly. The first thing is, um, it's a little bit weird. Uh, There's a lot of guests this morning. You're getting in the deep end with me, I guess. Uh, So the, the first thing as far as staying connected to God's sustaining power is this idea of imagination. And I want to talk about this for a second. All throughout the scriptures, we see Satan painting a picture of other options. In the Garden of Eden, Satan comes to Eve and he paints this picture and kind of helps her imagine a world that was better than the one that she had. There is a a way that you can, look at this, you can know all good and evil, you can have all knowledge. Wouldn't that be better than what you have currently? Jesus went to the desert and was tempted by Satan. You read about this in the Gospels. Satan shows up to Jesus and he, he says, imagine this. Picture all of the people bowing down to you and worshiping you, if you'll just bow down to me. All throughout the scriptures and in our own lives, the main way that Satan or the enemy, some of you guys may be uncomfortable with some of those turns, so darkness or evil or whatever word you feel most comfortable with, all throughout our lives, it's constantly presenting us with this this image, it's, it uses imagination to say, but wouldn't it be better if, or can you imagine if it looked like this instead? Can you imagine what you could do if you had that paycheck? Can you imagine how much fun your family would be if it was more perfect? Can you imagine, this idea of imagination, literally if you break down the word, it's a blend of the word image and creation, Imagination. You are creating an image that looks so good. And we do this all the time. And it's not because we have like really bad intentions, but we do this with everything in our lives. We do this where we, we, we picture things of, man, how, how amazing would that be? In Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is you shall not create any image before me. You cannot create an image. 
that is before me, that takes place before me, that, that should be above me. And I read that for 30 plus years, assuming that that was talking about idols. And it's like, great, I don't have any idols. I don't have any statues or altars in my house, so I'm all good. But there's a piece of this where I think that God is saying, I don't want you to use your imagination and fall into this trap of believing that this could be better, that this check, that this job, that this family, that this church will fulfill all of your needs, because it won't. We are finite. The church is people. Your job could go away. All these things are finite things, and we fall into this trap, this imagination trap. Can you imagine if, how much better this would be, this picture So we have to confront these false images, these false kind of imaginations that we are faced with day in and day out. We have to confront those with images that are true. And so this idea of imagination can be used for good and evil, if you will. There's a sense of imagining what it would look like, this idea of a fountain of living water, like Jesus said. This idea of imagining what it would look like. And and the moments when we feel lonely, instead of turning to that person or that friendship or maybe that inappropriate relationship that we've been a part of, in those moments, what if we imagined, not in like a creepy way, what if we imagined Jesus beside us? Because according to Paul, we look everywhere for him, but he's actually not that far. He's right beside us. He's with us. What if we imagine in those moments of loneliness, what if we, instead of picturing, man, wouldn't this be great? What if we pictured, man, I I think that Jesus knows how I feel right now. What if in the moments of temptation in our jobs and making poor business decisions or whatever it might be, what if we imagined, we put this picture, use our imagination to, to see, you know what? I see that God is going to give me what I need. I'm not gonna fall into this trap of believing that this other thing will save me because I, I, I believe that God is going to give me what I need. We have to confront the false images that Satan, the, the evil, confronts us with, with these beautiful new images. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to understand these new images that's going to help us transform us. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds or imagine beauty and truth. Meditate on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. So it's not just some crazy thing that I came up with. These are scriptures that are in the Bible that talk to us about thinking about and and meditating on and imagining goodness from God versus imagining this thing that will give us what we really need, that will sustain us maybe just for a little while. So the first thing is imagination. The second thing of how we stay connected to God's sustaining power is prayer. Prayer is the second thing. Jeremiah 29, it says, At that time... You will call out for me and I will hear. You will pray and I will listen. You will look for me intently and you will find me. When we stay in this relationship with God, we're grounded differently. Prayer is just a conversation with God. I know a lot of people get tripped up because they think they have to say the right words and we start talking in like King James English because we think that that's the only way that God understands us. But God knows us. He already knows us more than we know ourselves and he just wants us to talk to him. And the second thing, or I guess third thing, because I'm going all out of order, scripture. I apologize to the tech team who was just so stressed out in the back right now. Reading the Bible is the third way of staying connected to God's sustaining power. I know it feels like an obvious answer, but it's so true. The more that you read the Bible, the more it will, you will remember it in moments that you need it. Second Timothy chapter 3, the message translation, it says, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful one way or another. It is useful showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, through the Scripture, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. To stay connected to God as a source of sustenance, we have to turn to Scripture. God's promises in Scripture. There's over 7,000 promises in Scripture. And you can do a Google search. I'm sure you are all capable of doing that, of searching for God's promises. And they are there. One of them 
specifically with sustenance is in Isaiah 40. It says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. If you trust in God, you'll find new strength. You'll soar high on wings like eagles. You'll run and not grow weary. You'll walk and you won't grow faint. The fourth way to stay connected to God as your source of sustenance is in community and people and being a place like this. It is finite. We cannot give you everything we need, but God chooses to use people. Romans 15, may God who gives this patience, I'm going to read that again because I butchered it. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even at our strongest moments, we still need each other. The story of creation in Genesis chapter 1 God creates and he says that it's good. God creates and it says that it's good. And over and over again, there's this rhythm of God creating and he sees and says that it's good. And then you guys know that the snake comes and it deceives Eve and that's when sin comes into the world. But before, before brokenness and sin came into the world, after God created man, he said, well, it's not good for man to be alone. So even before there was sin, God realized that it was good for people to be together. God realized that we could not be on our own, even before there was sin in the world. Community is a critical thing for us. So those are five water hose ways to stay connected to the sustenance of God. I think there's one last slide. These are the four things we've talked about over the last month. Sovereignty, what guides you? Sanctuary, the people, places, and practices that help us find rest, that help us when we are stressed out and hitting a wall. Sabbath, the rhythms of rest that help us trust God and sustenance. What fuels you? There is, in each one of us, we have the best intentions. I think that there's something, I grew up in a church in a situation where I felt like I was always made to believe like I was secretly trying to be evil. And I don't, I don't know that that's the way the majority of people are. I think we have the best intentions, even in good things and providing for our families and, and succeeding in our jobs. These are good things. We have great intentions, and those are not bad things. But when we start to imagine those things giving us what we need at our core, they will always fail us. They will always fail us. I have been in situations where I was on staff at a church and things were going really well and it was everything that I thought it was supposed to be. And I was like, man, I'm, I was young. It was my first job out of school. I don't know if you guys have ever, like if you remember your first career job out of school, you spend most of that time having no clue what you're doing. And I got to this point where I was like, I am nailing this. And then I was fired by a friend. And it hurt. And I spent years recovering from that. Not because of what that person did to me, but recovering from trying to learn like, wait, Am I supposed to do this? Am I not good at this? Do I not matter? Is there no, all of who I had was wrapped up in that job. And it took me forever to work through that. And so I don't think that we're evil intentionally. I don't think you guys have like schemes and schematics on your walls at home of how you're going to hurt people and like push God aside. Like it's not an intentional thing that we do. But we just lose sight. We just start to shift a little bit. And we just start to imagine, man, I bet that that would help me. I bet that this would be the best thing for my family. And little by little, those things start to take the place that God should have in our hearts. So I'd love to pray for us. The band is going to come forward. We're going to sing one more song together. Um, if you guys will bow your heads. Heavenly Father, as Paul said as he was preaching to the people in Athens, sometimes we find ourselves looking all over for you and you are not far. You are here with us. 
You see us, you know us. And God, as we finish up this series, Low Battery, as we finish talking about practical ways that we can find rest and recharge and be filled with life, God, the most important thing is what truly sustains us. And if we rely on things or people alone, they will always fall short. They will always disappoint us. But God, you, you are our source of life. You are a fountain of living water, as it says throughout all the scriptures. And there's an intangible there that we don't necessarily understand how that works. But you choose to use people. You choose to use our passions and our hobbies and our careers. You choose to use all of these tangible things to fill us. But God, when we make these things the most important piece, that's when we go wrong. So would you help us? Would you help us keep you first and foremost? Would you help us continue to trust in you and you alone? To not just think about how great that meal was, but to be amazed that you created food and taste and a sense of smell for us to enjoy it. To not just be grateful for our friendships, but to, to think that you wired us to be in relationship and you put people in our lives that we like to be with, that make us laugh and make us feel loved. God, that the things and the people aren't the end in and of themselves, but that you choose to use those to show us your beauty and to fill us with your life. Would you help us remember that, God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the ushers are going to prepare to come and uh, receive this morning's offering. Each week, we have an opportunity to give back. We call it tithing. And the Bible talks about tithing as 10% and trusting God with our finances. Um, last week, our senior pastor talked about this a little bit in his message, and it was really powerful for me. Uh, and, uh, and if you missed that, I would encourage you to listen to that sermon on the podcast. It was a great message. But this idea of tithing and trusting God is an important thing for us because we do imagine safety in our bank account. We do imagine safety in things. And so for us to give up a portion of this and to trust that God is going to provide for us is an important step for us. So um, I'm going to pray. The usher's going to come forward and uh, pass the offering buckets. You can also give online. There's an app called PushPay that you can use uh, from your phone, whatever is easiest. Um, and uh, so let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, would you bless this offering? As we give, would it be a way for us to grow in how we trust you? And also, God, would you help change our hearts um, so we wouldn't hold so tightly to stuff, but that we would trust that there's a greater power that will provide each one of our needs as you promised. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.